let's pray, and uh, we'll look at tonight's message. God, thank you so much for being so good, God. I, I thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. I thank you for loving us just because you do, God. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to love somebody like me, but you do just because you can, God. I just, I thank you so much. I thank you for hearing and answering prayers. It's amazing enough that you didn't be mindful of us, but you let us come into your throne room of grace. You let us talk to you, and you listen. God, even your word tells us to, to call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's amazing to me that you would even care what we have to say, but I thank you, God, that we can come to you with everything that's on our heart. And there's nothing that we can bring to you that's so big that you can't fix it. And there's nothing that's so small that you don't care. If we just take time to come to you with it, God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. I pray you take your word tonight. Bless it and teach us, Father, that we might walk out of here a better servant. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here last week, Romans chapter 13, we didn't finish up this chapter. I thought I might last week. We're going to finish it tonight, and then we're going to go home, whatever time that might be. But um, last week, we were looking at where Paul was talking about love. The reason we keep the commandments of God's law is because we love God. The reason we keep the things that His book instructs, and, and the reason we do the things that God says in His Word is because we love Him. One of the things we looked at specifically last week is the way we want to be treated, that's the way to treat people. Regardless of how they treat us, regardless of how they act, that has nothing to do, it never enters the equation. To be godly, treat others the way we want to be treated, pray for our enemies, those that spitefully use you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you. We are to treat other people with kindness according to Christ. We finished up there at verse number 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We keep the laws of God because we love Him. That's what we looked at last week. But I told you, the Apostle Paul carries on over right here with another reason to keep the law. He says in verse number 11, Knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So this week, we're going to look at keeping the laws of God because we're expecting Jesus. Anybody expecting Jesus? No, I mean expecting Jesus. Not I've read the book and I know he's coming sometime, but I mean expecting Jesus. We keep the laws of God because we are expecting Jesus to step out. One day he is going to come. You know, if you are expecting company, you put your house in order. You put away things that aren't where they're supposed to be, sweep things, clean up things, unless you're my wife. She don't ever let a house get out of order. She keeps it clean all the time. So if you pop in, it's always going to look the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. We had a lady stop today, and she's like, your wife cleans this every week. She's like, pass her along a mess. Tell her she's superwoman. But even then, if somebody's coming, she goes to cleaning. And I'm looking like, what are you cleaning? It, it already looks clean. If you're expecting somebody, though, you're going to make sure you tidy things up, right? So if we're expecting Jesus to show up, why are we not tidying up our life? 
Why are we leaving dust in some closets and trying to keep some things off? Why are we living some things we ought not be living, doing some things we ought not be doing? If we're really expecting Jesus, then why aren't we keeping the laws? That's kind of what Paul is dealing with right here is that we keep the laws of God because we are expecting Jesus to come. He says that we are to, to watch vigilantly. We're, we're to be prepared. The return of Christ is nearer now than it's ever been. People say, I've heard that my whole life. Well, congratulations, so have I. That makes it no less true. I can tell you this, I'm one day closer now than I was the last time I heard it. Every morning I get up, I'm one day closer to the return of Christ than I was the day before. As a matter of fact, according to using what the, what the terminology that the Bible used today is far spent, this day is far spent. It's later in the day, so technically I am one day closer to Jesus coming back now than I was when I got out of bed this morning. Every day that we live is one day closer. I used the illustration at the funeral, Miss Margie Fortner, last week at her funeral. I talked about traveling and like on a journey in this life. It's like we're on a journey. Every day we are headed towards a far and distant land. That land is our homeland. I'm dealing with Christians here, not of the world. They have no hope except in Jesus Christ. They have the same hope we do. They just have to accept the gift. But every day we are traveling toward a homeland. We're traveling toward a distant land. At night when the evening comes, we pitch our tent and we rest for the evening. We get up the next day. We travel another day closer regardless of how far away that homeland is. Regardless of how many days it takes to get from here to where we're going, every day when I pitch my tent in the evening, I'm one day closer than I was when I got up that morning. One day, I'm going to get to where I'm going, and I'm not going to need this tent anymore. There's a mansion there waiting. I won't be camped out in this old tent anymore. So one day, Jesus is going to come. Whether people believe it or not, it's not going to delay it. Whether people say, I've heard it my whole life, it's not going to change it. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. He is coming. And for Christians, we ought to be looking with great expectations. Amen. Verse number 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The, the night is far spent. There is a brighter day coming. Go ahead and say, thank God for that. It seems like every day we get up. If you're one of those that watch the news, God bless you. I'll add you to my prayer list. Because it seems like everything's getting gloomier and darker and dimmer and we're just on that slide because of all that's going on. But in reality, every day is a little bit brighter because every day is that much closer to Jesus coming. And there is a brighter day coming. He says here that we're to cast off the works of darkness, to, to put on the armor of light. What he's saying there is, is Jesus is coming. When the light comes on, don't get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Y'all don't know that one. Whatever it is that you ain't supposed to be doing, don't be doing it because that might be when he comes back. Don't, don't be doing evil deeds because that just might be when he comes. And you don't want to be caught doing something wrong. So knowing that Jesus comes is another reason to keep the law. We are to cast off darkness, cast off evil deeds, cast off sinful ways and, and put on the armor of light. We are to live a life that is well-pleasing to God. Everything that we do I'm not the only one in here, but I'm one of the ones in here that sometimes, for whatever foolish reason, you wonder about what people think about what you're doing. I don't know why I think that, because for the most part, I really, well, anyway, I'll be nice. 
Everything that we do, we ought to really take time to wonder, is it pleasing to God? If it's not pleasing to God, then I shouldn't be doing it. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows about it. It doesn't matter if anybody else approves or disapproves. If we know in our heart this probably isn't pleasing to God, then we have no business doing it. I was, I was looking at, at salvation in this. And, and uh, when, when we get saved, one of, one of the exciting parts of salvation is we are saved in all three tenses. We're saved from our past. Anybody thankful? My past is past. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My past doesn't matter anymore. Because I am saved, my past is erased. So I am saved from the penalty of sin. I'm excited about that. But I'm saved in the right now. Because I'm saved in the right now, I have a confident, I have a Holy Spirit living inside of me. I have Jesus Christ as my propitiation seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession on my behalf. So I'm not just saved from my past and the penalty of sin. I'm saved in the present from the power of sin. Because I have Christ as my supreme strength, as, as my sustainer, the, the, uh, the arm, brother, that holds you up that you talked about, because I have that, I am, I am able to rise above the power of sin. I only fall below sin when I try to fall on things of the flesh and my arm grows weak. But one of my favorite thoughts about heaven is I'm not just saved from my past from the penalty of sin and in the present from the power of sin. I'm saved in the future from the presence of sin. I'm excited about that. I don't even know how that's going to feel. I'm excited about knowing I'll never be tempted again. I'm excited about knowing I won't ever think anything bad again. I know there will not be driver's license allowed there. You cannot drive a car in this town and not think bad thoughts. It's impossible. So I already know we're walking. I can't imagine never thinking anything bad again. Never feeling an evil presence again. Here's what I'm going to feel. The glory of God without any presence of sin. That's one of my most exciting thoughts when thinking ahead to, to what it's going to be like. But then Paul goes on to verse number 13. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. The word walk here used in verse number 13, it comes from a Greek word. It basically means let us prove who we are in Christ by living the Christian life. It's referring to an outward life that people see. When people look at us, that's what they see. They ought to see Christ in us. We ought not have to tell them we're a Christian. We ought not have to say I'm a Christian. They ought to know that. Our very representation of who we are, how we talk, how we carry ourselves, how we approach others, they ought to know at a meeting that there's something about us. And if they're a Christian, they know what it is. People ought to see Christ in us in the way that we live. Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, he said in chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. He says, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. We're not supposed to live like the world. We no longer belong to the night. We no, no longer belong to darkness. We're children of the light. Here in our text, that word walk is followed by the word 
honestly. It comes from a Greek word that means decent or honest. It's a derivative of a word that means well-formed and honorable. That's how Paul's telling us to walk. He says that, that we should walk a walk that is well-developed. Most of us in there got children, right? Got, have, had, got children. Children, probably pretty much everybody. You know, when children learn to walk, you know, at first you kind of hold them up. You're holding both hands and trying to get a little strength in the legs and they're wobbling. And eventually they get to where they can kind of stand on their own for a minute and then they sit down and then they get to where they can pull up on stuff and you know your moments of getting rest or getting fewer and further in between once they get to where they can pull up because they're fixing to start going everywhere. But they can pull up and they can hold on and they can walk and then they let go and they're a little wobbly and they fall down. Eventually they get to where they can walk short distances. But the more they practice, the more they grow and get strength in their legs, the more they learn to fully walk until one day they get to where they can run. That's how we're supposed to be as Christians. Paul, Paul addressed it in a different way and he talked about, you ought to be eating steak, but I'm still giving you milk. You haven't grown. You're still living like babes. We as Christians, we want to get saved and hold down some pews on Sunday morning, but we don't want to get involved in ministries. We don't want to get involved in service. We don't want to get involved in things that might take our time. Those things are called serving the Lord. We're supposed to learn to walk. Boy, it sure is getting quiet for a Wednesday night. We're, we, we as Christians, how many of you can think back when, when you got saved? I can see where I was like a baby. I can see where several times I lost my balance and failed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you first got saved, you're trying to get away from old friends and old habits and old stuff, and you'd lose your balance and you'd fall every once in a while. But the more we walk, the, the stronger our legs get and, and the stronger the walk becomes. He says that we're to walk honestly as in the day. I'll time out for this since Wednesday night, but I'll go ahead and plug it in there. Somebody out there might be listening, just needs it. There's a lot of people that you want to walk like a Christian on Sunday. Uh-oh. But you want to walk like you used to walk on Monday. What Paul's telling us to the Christian is you don't get to walk in the daylight on Sunday and walk in the dark Monday through Saturday. You don't get to walk like a Christian when you're around Christians. And then walk like the world when you're around those that are worldly. That cannot be true of a true child of God. Paul's telling us it ought to be evidenced in our life. If we're children of God, we ought to look like, act like, walk like, talk like, live like. Amen. That's good preaching. I know it's a Wednesday night preaching to the choir, but it's still good. Paul isn't, isn't teaching us out of... Ignorance or, or lack of knowledge, Paul understands what he's talking about. Paul lived a very religious life as one of the Pharisees, if you will. Paul was a very religious, struck man, but he was going in the wrong direction. He was, he was head over heels in religion, but he knew nothing about relationship. Until his road to Damascus experience when he met Jesus Christ, he was doing a lot of work in the wrong direction. Paul understands what he's talking about right here, about walking in darkness. He did it for years. E even after his road to Damascus experience, he understands the strongholds that he had in his life. There were some things that he had to break free from in his life, some traditions of men that he'd been brought up in. Traditions of men and legalism is still one of the things that's killing the church. I was visiting with some folks yesterday, and one of the guys over here that knows me, 
He said, when you see him on Sunday, he's going to be dressed like he come out of a magazine. And I said, that's not true. I'm just going to be dressed the way that makes me comfortable. And the subject of clothes came up. And I said, look, let, let me tell you where I'm at right here. You ain't ever going to see me preaching a pair of shorts. It ain't me. I'm not comfortable in it. And if that's what you need to be comfortable, you're the wrong church. Because I'm not going to change what I do to make you comfortable. Don't you be bothered by my suit because I ain't bothered by your shorts. It don't matter. This is just stuff. It's just threads. But, but to each one his own. Everybody has their own. So, so I'm, I'm going to wear what I wear. But that's just outward appearance stuff. That has nothing to do with what's in here. I, I don't care what you got on when you come in here. I want to know what's in here. I want us to serve the Lord together. I want everything to be about Him. And there's so much legalism and garbage gets caught up in what you got to look like. At, no. No, it's about Him or it doesn't belong in here. So there's a lot of legalism still goes on in the church. There's a lot of legalism that causes arguments in the house among the family that causes the people outside that won't come to church because they see what's going on on the inside. Well, they ain't no better. I mean, they fight more than I do. Why would I want to be with them? I don't know why I got off on all that. Paul understands the strongholds that was in his life. And, and we all understand that the strongholds aren't always suppressed. Anybody agree with me? Y'all don't leave me up here by myself as the only heathen in the house. Sometimes strongholds reach back up and try to grab me. Sometimes strongholds of the past, old thoughts, them things try to, try to drag you back in. And if you give them a fraction of a chance, they'll pull you right off your feet. Paul dealt with the same thing. He knows exactly what it's like. He had old natures too, and he had that old legalistic value pulling on him. He had old sinful natures pulling on him. The, the, the nature, that sinful nature is always trying to pull us back. The only thing that keeps our old nature at bay is a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, reading God's Word and praying every single day, and keeping a watchful eye for His imminent return. If I know he's coming, and I know it can be at any minute, I don't want to get caught doing something I ain't supposed to be doing. Just like reading his word, just like prayer, it gives me the strength to go, nope, I'm not falling for that one, devil, in Jesus' name. Leave me alone. Check out. Done with you. See you. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't have that old stuff trying to pull you back in. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. You know, as children of God, once we're saved, we are no longer in the world's army. Everybody sang the song, I'm in the Lord's army. Everybody sang it, right? You sang it as a kid. You sang it recently. We are no longer in the world's army. So we can't wear the uniform. Y'all mind if I throw in a sports illustration? Y'all know I like football. Who did Tom Brady play for? I didn't say who does he play for. Who did he play for? Play for New England. See, that's a sports fan because he got both of them right. All those years, Brady played for New England, and under Bill Belichick, he gave them a lot of Super Bowls. He probably truly is the best quarterback to ever play in the NFL. So in your mind, when you think of Tom Brady, you see that face. You automatically see that Patriots jersey and that little Patriot logo right there. But last year, the Patriots decided that he wasn't worth $50 million to play football for two years. 
15-year salary for two years with a $10 million bonus. Total $50 million to play football for two years. You know what I'm talking about. But Tampa Bay was willing to pay it. And now Tampa Bay is the Super Bowl champions with Tom Brady. They should have paid the $50 million, but they didn't. Here's the deal. Tom Brady don't wear a New England's Patriot uniform no more. He don't belong to them anymore. So it don't matter how many memories you have of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. It don't matter how much memorabilia you have on your wall of him and the New England Patriots. It don't match him anymore because that ain't who he is. He is now the quarterback of who? The Super Bowl champ, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's like us. Now, I, I will say this. <laughs> Neither Tom Brady nor Bill Belichick nor New England nor Tampa Bay has anything to do with the things of God. But the example fits. He don't belong to the Patriots anymore, and he don't wear their jerseys. He belongs to Tampa Bay, and everything he wears is Buccaneer pride. We're not of the world anymore. Why don't we get up and wear their uniform? Why don't we wear jerseys of a team we no longer play for? Why are we trying to follow the game plan of a team that no longer matches the rest of the teams on this game plan? See, that, that's what he's telling us here as Christians. We can't wear the old way of life. You can't put that stuff on. We, we have a whole new suit of armor. We're not on the team of darkness anymore. We're on the team of light. And because Jesus Christ is the light and the Holy Spirit of God is the light that lives inside of us, we can't be in darkness if we truly are of the light. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. And then verse, number, or verse 14, it closes out here at chapter 13. It says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When we're saved, we are given this new uniform, this new suit of armor, coat of armor. We, we have a whole new suit that we're supposed to put on. We are to put on Christ daily. That's what he says. We, we are to put on Jesus Christ. Listen, every day when you get up, and I hope this continues, I don't want to read about you on nothing that flashes up on my phone. When you get up, before you go out into the world, you put on some clothes. Glory to God. Just as consistently as the child of God puts on threads before we walk into public, we need to put on Christ before we walk into public. Every day, just as consistently as we get dressed in material before we go out, we need to be bathed in the Word of God. We need to be clothed in the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the light. We need something put on us that's going to help us. We need to put on Christ's character so that we can walk out and, and have a Christ-like character. We need to put on Christ's love so that we can get around people that don't love us and still put on a Christ-like love. We need to put on a Christ-like forgiveness because before the day is over, somebody's going to push at least one of my buttons, rattle at least one chain, wiggle at least 
one switch that should have been left alone. And if I didn't put on a Christ-like forgiveness, then I'm not going to have a Christ-like forgiveness to hand out. So I have to put it on in the morning. We are to put on a Christ-like kindness. We live in a world that ain't necessarily the kindest anymore. People aren't worried about you or anybody else. This number one is all that matters. But we are to put on a Christ-like kindness so that we might display a Christ-like kindness so that they might see Christ in us. And the only way that's going to happen is to put on God's Word when we get up in the morning. We put on Christ by reading this book. Devotions are awesome. Keep your devotion, but devotions, I've told you, devotions are too shallow. Those are shallow roots. They'll get you through the rainy season where they won't hold, they won't sustain you when the drought comes. Those roots aren't deep enough to get down and get water in the drought. Devotions are good, but those are guidelines on what to study. They're not your full day. They're not what gets you through. That little three-minute devotion can't be everything. It gives you a guideline and some scripture and some thought to take that thought and then get this book out. There is no substitute for reading that book. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many devotions you read. There can be no substitute for that book. If we are going to put on Christ, somebody say amen. That's good enough on a Wednesday night. Seek God's word, spend time in prayer, and, and, and put on Christ before we go out. There is to be no provision made to the old flesh. Do we agree that if you give the old flesh even any chance at all, it'll poke its old head up on it? It ain't never very far away. So if we look... At every morning, at the fact that today just might be the day I see Jesus. It just might be the day. It might be the day he comes back. He don't have to come back for me to see him. There's a lot of things can go wrong quick. If we, if we take every day thinking today just might be the day I see Jesus. So before I go out of the house, I'm going to prepare myself in the Word of God so that I can act Christ-like just in case today is the day when I see Jesus. We're not supposed to just wait for the Lord. We're supposed to wait victoriously. Y'all hear that part? We're not supposed to just be sitting around waiting. We're, we're supposed to have a victorious life while we wait. We, we are the temple of the living God. That means the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But here, here's where a lot of us deal with the issue. We've surrendered. We want him to be our savior because we want fire insurance. We just got a problem with being our Lord because that means you have complete rule and reign over everything. Well, see, that's a problem. Because if we are a child of God, then the Holy Spirit resides in us. We are the temple of the living God. And if the Holy Spirit resides inside, then he's giving us instructions, direction. Some people want to call it conscience. No, it is the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. He's trying to tell us which way to go, but some of us, like me sometimes, apparently think we know better until we wind up in trouble. Instead of, instead of surrendering full control to the Holy Spirit. If we surrender everything and the Holy Spirit guides us, then we're going to love others. And we're going to love God. And we're going to display Christ-like character because the Holy Spirit working through us. Not only that, we, we will be looking forward. 
Anybody ever think, man, this would be a good time for Jesus to come back? You're doing something good, right? <laughs> Lord, come back right now while I'm doing something good. This is a great time. If we're really doing good things, then we really don't mind if he comes back right now. Anybody ready to meet him? Boy, heaven gets a little sweeter every day, don't it? We don't belong in this world. This world's just a mission. But this mission is going to end soon enough. So Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said in verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, if the goodman of the house had known what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and he would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Luke gave an account of the same parable, chapter 12, verse 40. He said, Be ye therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Jesus said, when they least expect it, that's when I'm coming. I've heard that all my life. Ain't never going to happen. That's when it's going to happen. When, when they absolutely have put it off and say it's not coming to his children, to, to you and I, he says, don't be caught by surprise. Don't, don't let it surprise you when the Lord shows up. Be looking for it. Be looking with great expectation. Boy, that's a, that's a good, y'all got, yeah, I got a minute. I got a minute if they had a wanna. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that chapter, but let me give you this while I'm on expecting. Because I want to see it again. Sunday morning, Brother the Choir was amazing. It was awesome. I was thinking for a little while back there, man, I was just full. They were singing, and I thought, man, it's just me because I have been looking forward. I mean, Tim can tell you, we have, we have been, try, been trying to get the choir back in for I don't know how long, and we've delayed it a month and delayed it another month and delayed it another three weeks. It's just been one thing after another trying to get it back. So I can tell you, I came Sunday morning with great expectation. The lame man sitting at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, looking up at Peter and John. And they said, Silver and gold have a number, such as I have unto thee. Rise up and walk. The Bible says that he looked up expecting to receive something. He thought he was going to get a piece of bread. He's looking for something. He's expecting something. Because he was expecting a piece of bread or maybe even a denarii, a fourth of a penny that would buy a piece of bread. Because he looked up unto God expecting to receive something, God gave him strength in his legs. He'd never walked since he was born. 
I realized when I got to looking around Sunday morning, it ain't just me. That choir came in here expecting something. You could see it on them. They were excited to get to sing again. Not only that, two-thirds of the choir's new. Probably about right, Tim. Half anyway. So you got about half of all new people hadn't been in it before. They're excited to be a part of it. And, and I, I realized what made Sunday morning so special, a, a preacher visiting here sitting right back here said that's one of the most spirit-filled services he's been in in a long time. What made Sunday morning different was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me now? You stay with me. This is important. The reason the Holy Spirit was here is because he was invited. <laughs> Somebody, us, came here expecting something. And we carried something out of here that we wasn't even expecting. Ain't no doubt in my mind, God moved some mountains for some folks Sunday morning. God lifted some broken hearts, mended some broken spirits. God moved. But the reason he moved, I'm sorry, choir, I love y'all, but you're not why he moved. Your attitude's why he moved. You came in here expecting something. I, I, I know it's a little sidetracked because I got to thinking about expecting. Because if we're expecting Jesus to come, then we'll live like we're expecting it. But I'm telling you, if we want church to be that every week, come here expecting him to do something. See, I could, I'm could. i going to go ahead right now. I'm going to go ahead and kill the service, Tim. I'm going to go ahead and shoot him down. I already lost the choir. Had them for one Sunday. They brought me up to the edge of the cliff and pushed me off a mountain. Said, we ain't going to be back next week. <laughs> it's holiday. A lot of people out of town. A lot of our soloists out of town. It's the bottom line. I already don't have the choir for Sunday. But I learned something last week. Whether or not that choir scenes ain't going to boil down. It's going to be, what do I come here expecting? There's enough of us here right now to pray hard this week. Pray hard Saturday. Get up and pray expecting a moving of the Holy Spirit on Sunday. God can move that way. It don't matter how many we got on vacation. It don't matter that school's out. It don't matter how many people's gone, how many's here, how many's not here. There wasn't but one man sent to the gate of the temple called Beautiful, and he was looking up to somebody, and he got more than he ever thought he was going to get. So Sunday morning, well, that's kind of preaching backwards, ain't it? If I'm expecting him to come tomorrow, I need to tell you all I'll see you in a little bit now because he ain't coming. We ain't going to be here Sunday. Well, I'm going to expect him tomorrow, and if he don't come, I'll expect him Friday. But if I'm still here Sunday, I'm going to be expecting something. How about that? God, thank you so much. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that I can look with great expectations, God. And, Lord, it really doesn't matter to me. If you, if you come in the morning, okay. If you don't, okay. If you come Friday morning, okay. If you don't, okay. God, I'm just thankful that I'm in the family. I'm thankful for this body of believers right here that if you come, we're going to be together. Lord, I thank you for the strength. I thank you for Faith Baptist Church that you've given us. If you don't come, we're going to be together. We're going to be right here serving and waiting on you. But I thank you, God, that we can look ahead with great expectation, knowing, Father, that Jesus is going to come get us one way or the other. 
When all this life is over that we're going to get to spend eternity with you, God, I thank you for the promise. I thank you for the comfort. God, I thank you for loving us the way that you do. I pray as we walk out, will you help us, God? I pray for everybody in this place. Lord, I pray you'd anoint us, touch us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us. I pray, God, looking ahead to tomorrow, God, with expectations of living tomorrow, I pray you touch every one of us tomorrow. May we display a Christ-like character tomorrow in our schools, and our jobs, wherever we are, that people might see Christ in us. Help us, Father, to make a difference in the life of somebody. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Did I give you all Miss Phyllis Mills on the prayer list? I didn't mention Miss Phyllis Mills.